This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. If I've ever said anything funny, it's this. My brother had a pigeon coop. My brother and me, we had a pigeon coop in my yard for this book project he was doing where he wanted to cook baby pigeons. And we had chickens living in the bottom of it and pigeons living in the top of it. And we wanted to be able to access the pigeons. So one day we just get a, we get a jigsaw and we're going to cut a hole in there in the top, in the, in the, plywood and put some hinges in there and i said man this is going to be a real walk this way moment when we cut this hole in here and i don't know if you guys remember the run dmc aerosmith video yeah where steven tyler takes his mic stand and bashes it through the wall, right? And then Joe Perry. Is it Joe Perry? Is that the guitar player? Yeah. He looks, you know, fuck, it must not have been funny. The one thing that I thought. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, then we start talking about uh, the It's Tricky video. Do you remember that video? Absolutely. It features Penn & Teller. Yeah. I guess I don't then. Yep. Yeah, it, it starts out with Penn and Teller like doing this thing with cards, and you got to pick the, the cards like have something underneath, and you got to shoot. They're out on a street. They're doing this on the street, and you got to pick which card has something underneath it. And this woman is playing against him, and she's losing all kinds of money. Yep. And then she says, all right, I'm going to bet my chain. I'm going to bet my, she's got this big gold chain on. And sure enough, she loses the chain. And then she calls up run DMC and they're like, and she's like, they stole my chains. They stole my chains. And run DMC. That part used to make this friend of mine incredibly upset Andy DeMars one of my life like early childhood friends he's because he's like he had a lot of righteous indignation about that and we did a lot of gambling when we were kids penny poker he's like no he didn't they didn't they won your chain (laughs) and then run DMC like fly in in a helicopter to like uh, go find Penn and Teller, you know. But uh, so then we started watching Penn and Teller. Man, they got some crazy, crazy stuff they did, or still do. I think they're still at it. Oh yeah, that uh, that three card money trick. When you see someone who's a real magician with the sleight of hand stuff, and on that show, you see those guys all the time. They'll have like the world, the world championships of magic. The people who win. I mean, it's it's insane stuff. But uh. It's funny. Well, okay, was that is that what's in that Run DMC videos three card money? I'm almost positive that's what that game is called. 
Oh, it's a, okay. It's a con game called, and it's yeah, three card M O N T E. I think. I, I think in, that's. What that was. I, I was in downtown Pittsburgh one night, you know, my early twenties, and and there were people hustling, and it was just we just sat there and watched, and nobody won that game. Nobody <laughs> won it. Yeah. Oh, nobody won it against the dude that was exactly nobody. Yep, I have a one in three. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. No, that's. Got, I don't think you really do. I think do, it's a. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a con. Yeah, but, but when you're that good with your hands, because that's all those card games. You know, not like I'm a huge magic expert, but as we all know, it's just like a sleight of hand that they're so good at that you can be super close, like the best of the best, like card counters. Like, how do people learn how to count cards in blackjack? That's like next level Rain Man, but it's real. People really do it. Mm. Little Run DMC. Hey, so we're gonna talk about. Oh, go ahead, Jim. (laughs) No, uh, Run DMC, Raising Hell. That was a good album. (laughs) They're some cool looking dudes, man. (laughs) So cool looking. Oh, my favorite. Oh, like when I was a little kid and I saw those guys with their shoes untied, those like high tops with the shoes untied, and they're like wearing all black, like. Jean jackets and black jeans. God damn, those guys are cool. Shell toe Adidas, man. I still love those shoes. Oh, is that are what you... those? <laughs> they look like a seashell. That's what those are called. Yeah, that's what we always call. Oh, them. I'm okay. I'm pretty certain that's exactly what they're called. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys all hip hop heads? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Dave. Yep. Um, not as much. I listen to a lot of uh, British rap, though. British rap. Is it? I've listened to a lot of British beatboxers, but not much rap. They got a great beatbox scene over there, though. Yeah. Was it Slick Rick British? At least he talked with a British accent. (laughs) Yeah, I uh jim jim and i both like old school quite a bit and i like new school quite a bit too you know it's one of my favorite genres of music for sure and uh like you guys like atmosphere by chance yeah i do yeah that's aesop rock yeah i've never heard of them no no yeah i like those guys yeah, I listen to a lot of um, Juicy J. Listen to a fair bit of Wiz Khalifa. He's from oh. Pittsburgh. Oh, is he really? Mm-hmm. Black oh. and yellow. Yep. <laughs> Lil Yachty. That new Lil Yachty album is really <laughs> good, man. Really like um, the the musicality of it is pretty impressive. People listening to this are going to be like, how the hell did I get on to listening to Matt Rinella talk about Lil Yachty on the Hunt Quietly podcast? <laughs> Is it, it's all right, though, right? Like, just because the podcast oh, has yeah. a theme, we can just talk about some a little bit of just general yeah. stuff, can't we? Or does it always introduction? have to, or do or, it always or, have to be... Or do I just always have to be talking about how I hate hunting media constantly? <laughs> this could be the the uh, casual startup that then starts it. But Didi, you better kill. Oh my god! Yeah, I got to make sure that doesn't happen. But uh, sorry about that. 
Um, my favorite new rapper is Little Dirk. Just, just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> I some of those guys are. Uh, if you thought it was intense back in the nineties, since David has not much clue what we're talking about, but yeah, these new guys are are, are pretty hostile. A lot of them. Oh. Yeah, and I always think about I think about about that a lot. Like, I mean, they're 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 there's there's always been a lot of misogyny, obviously, and there's also always been a fair bit of like anti LGBTQ plus plus all that, right? But how much? I don't know, man. How much of that is just them? Playing a part. I, I've watched a lot of hip hop conspiracy, you know, on the higher end for a 43 year old white guy. So I could go down a billion rabbit holes. And, but I mean, I would be, you know, digging my own grave of commenting about any of their, because some of it is so much total fabrication, kayfabe, Hollywood, that you don't know what's real. Obviously, certain of these folks. And especially with how intense some of like the gang, like drill rap has gotten, where they're just incorporating, literally talking about people they've killed into the songs. And there's, Oh, really? Oh, there's videos out there where, you know, they're, 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 they're admitting to a violent crime <laughs> yes. in their song. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it's like, it's not all just playing a part because, a lot of these guys end up getting killed. Yeah. Like Tupac and Biggie and, you know, so it's like, it's more than just playing the part of a gangster, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we probably shouldn't be listening to this anymore that we should be (laughs) watching (laughs) funny media. Like it's probably worse. I don't know, man. When you're hitting a heavy bag, and you're listening to Biggie. <laughs> yeah. There's you hit it a little bit harder than when oh, yeah. you're when you're yeah, listening that, to Yeah. You know. But I also drink harder when I'm listening to it too and smoke <laughs> harder. <laughs> but it is fascinating though when you think about the demographic like what we're going to talk about later all of these, you know, very soon, folks. Yeah. <laughs> Approval for public hunting and the demographics that that uh, support hunting and don't. When you think about the demographics of people who love hip hop and us four, or at least three of us who really, really love hip hop are sitting in a room talking about it. And then when you're out in the woods and you meet people, not necessarily hunting because people aren't playing music when you're hunting, but when you're out rafting or just in public so like get, like rap is just everywhere in the most rural white every single person's white but there's going to be hip-hop playing somewhere everywhere that i've ever been and i've lived all around the country so it is fascinating that like it's a it permeates the woods it's like people you would think wouldn't have this much knowledge of hip-hop somehow yeah yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to talk about American attitudes towards legal regulated fishing, target sport shooting, hunting, and trapping. A survey that just came out that was published by Responsive Management. They do this survey 
every two years. And it's a temperature check on how Americans are feeling about hunting. And in this particular survey, they saw a 4% statistically significant decline in approval of hunting. So 4% equates to 9.9 million people, 9.9 million fewer people are okay with hunting than in 2021. And this is a decline from 81% to 77%. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about it through the lens of hunt quietly. Uh, I don't know how we're going to do this. Does anybody want to start out by giving their overall impressions? If not, I'll, uh, I will. Yeah, go go ahead, Matt. Go for it. So I, if you're new to listening to this podcast, you'll, I'm telling you, uh, I'm bringing this up in case that's the case. I'm not terribly concerned about the sentiment of public about hunting. Maybe that's naive on my part, but like like this survey said, still 77% of Americans are on board with hunting as long as it's for meat. It's like 24% if it's for trophies. So I'm not terribly concerned about our reputation among non-hunters is way down on my list of hunting-related concerns, Uh, but it's used, it's you, what people think about hunting, non-hunters think about hunting, is used as a justification for hunting media. So how Americans, so the uh, one idea behind hunting content is like, if it's tasteful and thoughtful, it, it, and portrayed in a positive light, it will ward off threats from anti-hunters and prevent non-hunters from becoming anti-hunters. I don't buy that, and this survey doesn't help me better believe that. Between 2012 and 2023, there's been a steady increase in tag sales, hunting license sales from 36 million to 39 million. Over that time period, American approval, Americans approval of hunting has stayed roughly similar from 2011 to 2023 to every two years. Here's the number that approved the percentage that approved 77, 75, 80, 81, and then most recently 77. So you can make a big deal out of this 4% decrease with this next study, but overall Americans views about hunting have been very stable despite an increase in the number of tag sales. So this idea that we need to bring more people into hunting 
in order to maintain a political environment favorable to hunting, it doesn't bear out in my view. So that's my overall uh, interpretation of this study. The whole the whole premise of the study is is to gauge R three and its its relationship to R three. I mean that they they say that in the executive summary. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, it what, says could, identifying could the, the trends and these attitudes is is important for developing, managing, and assessing recruitment, retention, and reactivation programs. My fear is, and I agree with everything you said. Uh, a couple four percent is is negligible in my opinion. Um, nineteen ninety four, it was seventy three percent approval. So it's it's hovering pretty much the same as it's been. But yeah, I feel like the industry is going to use this as a green light to ramp up R three, even though. The number of tags has increased as tag sales. You can't even say anything really about now that Andrew McKean has pointed this out. I asked Andrew McKean, the editor for one of the editors for Outdoor Life, to come on and talk to us about this because he wrote an article about this report, and I never heard back from him. Um, there's a little bit of bad blood between he and I, so that, that that doesn't surprise me. But I don't know how you go from approval for hunting has declined four percentage points to ergo we have to recruit more hunters when the number of tags sold has been steadily increasing over the last decade and like okay so the Andrew McKean point is it's like ridiculous to even talk about the number of hunters anymore because nobody knows what it is he pointed that out like there's so many problems with trying to track that here's the biggest one a lot of people, or two, here's two big ones. A lot of people have lifetime licenses. Here's another one. If you buy a license in two states, you get double counted. I was just going to say, what about the guy that has, that hunts four states, five yeah. states? So anyway, but the, but the day that Fish and Wildlife Service data on the number of tag sales is solid. And that says something about participation. Maybe it says more about participation than the number of hunters in some sense, you know? It's like the level of fervency for hunting. I don't know. But in any, in any case, I don't know how you look at this and go, the way to correct, if you are committed to the idea that this decline in hunting participation is something that we should be worried about, I don't know how you go from that to, therefore, we need to step up our efforts to get more people to hunt. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I I, I, I think the perspective of, like, what is the mainstream going to do with this is interesting. On, like, the one hand, I hold out, like, maybe some positive and come out of it, you know, the decline in approval. Maybe people say, well, Oh, we need to be better about social media and like police, like the really bad stuff, like the coyote thumping with snowmobiles. And there are like videos of a bison falling down a mountain and stuff, which would be like, I mean, would be nice. Not exactly what we're looking for, what we're going after here, but it would be nice. But yeah, I do worry a lot about how, well, I think what Jim was getting at where, 
maybe not necessarily R like pushing R three in response to the survey, but pushing content and like and other stuff too that portrays hunting in a, a quote unquote positive light. I think people might use something like this to justify that. Uh, rather than maybe acknowledge that the content could be part of the problem to begin with. Did you guys look at the com- to your point, David, did you guys look at the, the comments? So Outdoor Life posted on Instagram about the article that they wrote about this NSSF report. Did you guys read the comments on that? I did. There I were 127 of them, but I didn't read I, them Yeah, all. I read them all, and I categorized them. And overwhelmingly, the num- the top sentiment was this is a consequence of hunting social media more than anything else I read. There's, here's some other categories that I have here. Um, there's a category I call nonsense, which is <laughs> probably just... It, inevitable when you're going through comments on a social media post there's one just like bucket that i call nonsense so i put a bunch in there there's it doesn't matter like why do i care it doesn't matter that what people think i'm gonna keep hunting uh there's it matters there's a few of those and this is something we should be concerned about there's it's because of the liberals there was several people that said that um and there's we got to recruit more hunters that's outdoor life's conclusion although in that outdoor life article in addition to like we got to recruit more hunters. They also said that social media, they admitted social media is causing some problems. And then finally, another category I saw was they'd never asked me like all the years they've been doing this. I haven't been asked once. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, that maybe that's the, what beneficial thing come out of this is like I say, the number one thing was comment was about like social people implicating social media as a causal factor. Did anyone listen to the podcast that outdoor life put out? I did. I did. When they got to their discussion on the social media, I mean, they didn't seem to give it too much concern, but they did acknowledge it. Before they moved on and then just went back to R3 being important. But uh, did anyone, it didn't surprise me what they said, but it kind of, it certainly seemed like it was just a, they're not concerned about it at all, kind of seems like. About the social media component. Yeah. Based on how much. I don't understand that, man. I just don't understand that when that has caused hunting bans. Yeah. I I think, I think too, like you're ignoring part of the data if you don't believe that. I mean, if you look at how social media portrays hunting more than anything, it's, you know, gripping grins and stuff like that. And in terms of if you were to look at content and the number of hits it gets, not necessarily like how much people are posting, but like the quantity of eyeballs, like gripping grins, kill shots, like those are definitely going to be like 
some of the most viral and like the most like popular going to get out there the most and the lowest three categories for approval are hunting for sport hunting for a challenge and hunting for a trophy and when you think of the people who like like push that kind of content um and who talk about specifically hunting for a challenge and they kill six elk in a year so there's no way to justify that you're only doing it for the meat like that's that's our that's our like quote unquote best foot forward and those people are generating the content probably has the lowest approval ratings yeah and i don't know if i read this on the comment section where they talked about it in the podcast with outdoor life but am i correct in in people view grip and grins as essentially a trophy regardless of the size of the grip and grin it depends not um not like we don't there's no like data on that but um, we had a, um, uh, there's a guy who follows on quietly, quietly, Paul McCartney, and he did, he, oh, Paul, I'm sorry. I can't remember the name of your website. Um, but he, like the Beatles. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, he did a, uh, interview with somebody from HSUS. I just said that to started. demonstrate that I don't only listen to hip hop. <laughs> Although I don't uh, like the Beatles. I like, I mean, there'd be a, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say that because obviously there'd probably be a thousand songs that I cherish that would have never been written if not for the Beatles. So I shouldn't say that, but no I'm doubt. just not a big fan of them. Yeah. I was just worried that Dave was getting catfished by a guy calling himself Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry, David. I, I precipitated all this interrupting. Go ahead. Oh, that's fine. Um, they uh oh he he yeah he um interviewed somebody from humane society united states and who you know most people on paper would think like that's the number one enemy of hunting in the united states you know like an organization like that but um the lady who he interviewed from hsus was actually like explicitly said that like we have no problem with ungulate hunting their 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 gripe is with with predator hunting which okay so now we're 100 we're not 100 on board but here's someone who in these like in this survey would potentially be in the approve of hunting for white-tailed deer category which is a, a category in this survey yeah um, very interesting and she works for the humane society and she said i believe she said we so she's like right. speaking like for the society um but where they but they support it ugulent hunting for meat and they identified very specifically that in their minds, um, once you flip that phone around and take a selfie to post on Instagram for like people to see, um, that the motivation for hunting in their eyes changes somewhat. Um, she said, we have our own definition of trophy hunting, the primary motivation to obtain trophies for display. And that could be with a selfie with your cell phone that you post on social media. When you do that, then it automatically becomes a trophy. Where did she, where did you find this? This oh is my God. this is a, a guy who follows Hunk Quietly. Okay. Keep talking that for is, a second and I will find his information. That is fascinating. Yeah, I I think like you said, David, I think you'd be foolish to think that social media didn't play a role in the survey. But the only caveat that I go back to is the nineteen ninety four survey where the approval was lower than than ever, and mm-hmm. and yeah. Well, okay. So one thing to keep in mind, I'm just putting on my statistician hat. 
here, my day job hat, is that we should look into this and probably could figure it out, but we don't know that that those differences were statistically significantly significant. There might have been a larger sampling error around, you know, those estimates. We know that the the difference between the last estimate and this estimate can't be due to random error. Well, we can surmise that. I mean, it's because it's not, it's, it doesn't seem to be due to chance, but that those past ones could be, I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. Okay. And this, this is one of the categories on the responses uh, on the comments on the, on the outdoor life post too, was, uh, they never asked me. So there are some misconceptions here. Thus, what this, okay. So the sample size, the, the, the uncertainty estimates, like the margin of error, the confidence interval, um, the standard error, those things, those summary statistics are a function of the sample size. So that is baked in. When you say you have a statistically significant difference, that is a calculation that factors in the sample size. So you 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 can't go like it's statistically significant but the sample size is small. That that doesn't really make um logical sense. Yeah, I think the like misconception people have here a lot is because is that just because it's statistically significant doesn't mean necessarily that this is the trend that people expect to continue. Like mm-hmm. they don't expect it to decrease mm-hmm. every year. It right. just means the change from the last sample you did is like noteworthy and not just some kind of like a like random error that puts you within like a range of possible values. You're, you've like changed the range of possible values that, that the statistics say that like this should be in. Yeah. Uh, another way, uh, another way of saying it would be to say that the, the rate, the number, the percentage of people in the population that they sampled in 2021 that approved of hunting is different than the percentage of people in this, in the population they sampled in 2023. Does that make sense? Yep. Mm -hmm. Is this part of the conversation we're having based on the idea that certain people are just going to say, I don't buy these quote unquote statistics that you're throwing out. I mean, why do they're. Yeah. And at the end of the day, for my purposes, I don't care if they buy them or not. I'm just, yeah. But just for the, for anybody, you know, just for the listenership's basic, like that maybe they want to learn something about how these things work. And this is what I do for a living. Uh, yeah. The sample size, um, it, you can have it be that you don't detect a significant difference because your t- sample size is too small, right? Yeah. But so, but if you detect a significant difference, you detect a significant difference. And then there's this other fallacy, Chris, that I feel like you might have fallen prey to a little bit 
in our text messages the other day where the size of the population that you're sampling from matters and that does not so if to say i don't believe these results because they sampled 2000 people and there are 60 million people in the country that doesn't how many people there are in the population you're sampling doesn't matter so if instead okay i said 60 million but i'm just throwing that i'm making up numbers Okay. If there were 600 million instead of 60 million, the estimates would be just as reliable. Yeah, well, that's that's far more valuable. And again, this is not to shit on the host of the Outdoor Life podcast because they didn't the way they just kind of breezed over that part of it. I think as seen in the comments where in the day and age we live in, where people are just constantly throwing statistics out at people and it just goes. So to hear that and again. I'll have to go back and listen again to what you said to grasp it completely, but it's much more clear. I think also in the report itself, where it breaks down what this company that's been around since 95, I believe, does to to ensure. I mean, they could be lying. You can go down the conspiracy route and be like, these people are funded by whatever a political party I disagree with. And that's but they're telling you that they're using this series of phone tests, which involves, you know, five different callbacks to try and find the right person who's going to respond. They have interviewers who are trained. All that, all that stuff could mess it up. It could mess it up. Oh, all that can mess it up. All I'm saying is if you are, if you do achieve a random sample, everything I'm, I'm saying is predicated on that. If you, if you are, if you can derive a, a random sample, then the size of the population you're sampling from falls out of the calculations. Let me say it one more way, just to, because if I don't get it clear with this, then I'm not going to get it clear, but let me just try one more time. Let's try you're, say you're trying to estimate the mean, so, the mean height of trees in the world. Uh, and you measure the height of 30 trees. And then, and let's say there's 3 million trees in the world. Okay. So like now let's say that there are, instead of 3 million, there are 3 billion trees in the world. Your estimate of the mean height of the trees is every bit of as reliable, whether there are 3 million or 3 billion trees. Okay. It depends on how many you measure. That you measured 30 matters a ton. That there are 3 million versus 3 billion doesn't matter at all. So, but all the other things that you're talking about here are fair game in terms of uh, casting doubt or building confidence in the survey. So you're he, saying, like, specifically, like, they... David knows a lot about this stuff, too, so I should let him weigh in, but... They have... They sampled 34 Hispanics, and they had the lower lowest approval for hunting. That matters. That's you're saying sm- that sample size 
is legit and that data is still relevant. Well, I'm just, they, they don't say that Hispanics statistically significantly disapprove of hunting more. They just provide the point estimates. The only thing they say right. is the only thing they stay, say is statistically significant are things that they derive from the entire sample. Yeah, the, the 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 tough part here is like like with the Hispanic examples, they don't say that that's statistically significant from the rest of the population because not because there's too many Hispanics in the country, like the number of Hispanics in the country doesn't matter, but it's because they only sampled 34. So if they had a sample of say 300 Hispanics, then they might say, oh, this like they might have the ability to say this is like statistically difference the difference between their approval and the rest of the group's approval is statistically significant yeah but that that would be regardless of the denominator of total population and there's some there's some like psychological things that go into this he's got other studies so like what he writes in the what his team writes in the report is partially what's impinging on their senses is the results they get from these 34 Hispanics, but also they've got other studies on Hispanics that also further demonstrate that they are less on board with hunting. So that like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a, like, uh, they're, they're factoring in, they're making an inference based on all their, their data in a very, in a casual sense, you know? Yeah. Um, and you're painting a much clearer picture. And when you said that, you know, the acknowledgement that all of the survey data can positively or negatively influence either way is pretty relevant to, to think about as you're judging these things, I think. Something yeah. I, didn't, I didn't understand. Uh, I'm willing to buy that. I'm willing to buy from background considerations that Hispanics are less on board with hunting. Like I like in uh um Brazil, I don't think you can you can't there's no hunting there. Or you can't own a gun there? I don't think you can own a gun in Brazil. We've had Brazilian graduate students at the lab I work at and they're they're like hunting what? That's barbaric. You know. Really? So I I I that doesn't surprise me in the least just in without even considering the data. And that's probably something that that's something we got to be concerned about because geez, just between 2010 and 2020, the number of Hispanics in this country went from 50 million to 60 million. Yeah. See, I, I, I saw that and I, I was surprised. Sorry. Since 1967, Brazil illegal hunting in Brazil. since Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So if you really, if yeah, if you really are someone that is concerned about the antis and the and this how non-hunters feel about hunting, I personally am not terribly concerned about it. But you should really be you should be have a targeted campaign at at the Hispanic population. Yeah, and they can blacks that. blacks are the like. I saw in the survey or the, the group that's just above Hispanics and in, in terms of approval. 
they did make the interesting point on the Outdoor Life podcast of uh, the stereotype about only white people supporting hunting, but then how kind of the statistic played out to be a little true. What's that now? That the overwhelming support came from the white population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how there's a little bit of a, you know, trend to be like, oh, white, it's white hunting's only for white people. And it's, of course, it's not only for white people, but the trend plays out that that demographic does give the most support, at least in this survey. Ab- sure. Absolutely. I, yeah. And I, I don't know. To me, it, I'd be surprised to see it to find that there was any other way except maybe native americans i don't know that's what i was gonna say it's it's baffling in that sense though but uh, yeah who knows how the but the, but yeah but they weren't represented in the survey were they no probably not because they probably if you sample two thousand americans you're probably not going to get a native american yeah yeah that's crazy yeah when i first saw the 34 i'm thinking Man, you know, the folks that I know that are Latino, they, you know, a lot of them, they love meat. They love ranching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they hunt. Yeah. I mean, they hunt. Yeah. It just surprised me. Yeah. The only other thing I saw that I thought was noteworthy is in the trapping section. They don't ask us about hunting. Because you can't hunt for money, but you can trap for money. And the majority of Americans are not on board with trapping for money. They're not on board for trapping for, uh, uh, as a, like, were the other categories? There was a couple other categories in there too. Oh, to get a fur, fur coats, to get furs for yourself. Yeah. They're not on board with that either, majority-wise. Uh, but they're definitely not on board with it. Like 55% of Americans oppose something like that, oppose trapping for money. And I think that's important because I think that what's betrayed on what's portrayed on social media and TV are people hunting for money for money and i bet if you were to ask that question of the american populace writ large with respect to hunting i think that the answer would be similar i'd love to if we could design our own survey someday That'd be fun. It really would. You know, another thing I was thinking about that would be fun, I think. So people in the hunting sphere make a big deal out of wiping the blood off. But it'd be interesting to, when you take a grip and grin, it'd be interesting to enlist the help of some social science, not social psych- psychologists that are good at designing experiments and have them help like design like you show human beings pictures of 
of people next to dead animals on social media. And uh, in terms of uh, disapproval, does it really matter to somebody that doesn't hunt whether the thing has blood on its nose or not? That'd be interesting. Uh, yeah, probably somewhat. I just don't know how much. My gut, but but that, that I think it does. Yeah, that's where. But that's I mean that's where people have staken their claim. Is that that's the the, the claim that people stake? Like, as long as it's tasteful, it's not detrimental. Yeah, but obviously that's not based on data and it's a belief like a lot of things i say are just beliefs that aren't based on data too so i'm not trying Mm -hmm. to like say that that's a problem but it'd be interesting to know does the approval rating of a non-hunter go way up as long or does it just still seem like somebody kind of gloating over at that deer yeah no i get what you're saying that's interesting would the approve like how would there be a statistically significant dis- difference between the disapproval of a grip and grin with blood versus without blood? Yeah. We almost have yeah. to take... Among take non-hunters. I think among hunters, it would definitely... It's less approved of if there's blood. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... I, you know, when you first said it, I thought for sure, like, oh, if it has blood, I think people would disapprove more. But for non-hunters, when you th- reframed it as, like, is it, like, that much more different in their eyes? Like, I would lean towards probably not. Like, blood's probably not going to be the deciding factor for someone on whether or not they approve of a picture. I think if you could measure like knee jerk reaction, like strength, I would think that like a really, a really excessively bloody, bloody picture probably is going to elicit sure, a stronger response. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But not necessarily a statistically significant disapproval. And especially not like just like a little bit of blood on like, you know, the entry wound on the side of an animal or something like that. Like there would be, there's degrees here bet- between that and like, you know, a pool of blood around them or something. Um, but yeah, that's that would be really interesting. That would be so like really meaningful too. I feel like yeah. I shot an antelope and uh, was showing the pictures to my brother-in-law and my family. And my brother-in-law does not hunt, and the antelope led like down the side and stained everything. Just I wiped it off for the picture, but it was just completely red. And my brother-in-law goes, oh, that's that's a weird color. I'm like, well, it's blood. And then he just made a face and was like, ooh, disgusting. And turned the picture, you know. But. Oh, so there you go. That's evidence that wiping the blood off matters. One example, though. Just one example. Oh, would you share your anecdote about your your sister-in-law? Yes. So. My sister-in-law, complete, complete, um, they're not lefty. anti-hunting. What's that? You said lefty. Told, is what they're way left, right? Way left. And Nothing wrong with that. Th- not that there's listening. anything wrong with that. 
So they don't hunt the, I, I would say the only hunting that comes into their life is through me. Like their only window into hunting is me. And um, so we were just on vacation just recently and I had my triple D shirt on. That was just um, like this little movement I had before this one we have now. It was it, the D's were depublicized, deglorified, demonetized. And it's all so anyway. Go ahead, Jim. And then it says honey is all best done quietly. Stuff. Right. It says honey is best done quietly on the shirt. Yeah. So my sister in law, we're sitting there, and my sister in law is reading the shirt and and processing it. And she says something to the effect of, Man, if that were the case. I think people would look at hunting differently. Mm. Mm. You know, like if, if hunters actually did that, people would look at hunting differently. And I just was like, there you go, man. What? I mean, this is left. <laughs> like, what else do you need? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. That's funny. Oh, I'm excited about this episode. I think this is a good one, man. So I really appreciate it. Any closing thoughts? Uh, the only other thing I wanted to bring up was on page X or 10, but not the number 10. I thought it was really interesting looking at the um, methods of hunting, how people approved. Um, just thinking again, in like in terms of like the justification of content and how much content goes out there, hunting using high-tech gear has a very low approval rating. It has climbed since 2006 and in, in this graphs from 20%, 26 in uh, 2019 and now 29% in 2023. But that's just compared to 69% uh, appro approval for um, bow and arrow as a method. Um, and, you know, tech is such a big part of like what makes up this content. And somewhere to watch a hunting show especially on like TV where you see the ticker of the gear they're using and how they feature slow motion kill shots of the Turkey broadhead chopping the thing's head off or like whatever it is, you know, beyond the grotesque aspects that seems to be that the non hunting public does have some view. And what, and what I think and maybe unconsciously in their mind is like a view towards fair chase, um, potentially and and like their preference for a bow. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem. Hunt. Yeah. Um, yeah and that, and the adding all these technological elements to hunting and like and marketing that so heavily and as a part of the content and making it around kind of so central to the narrative around how people talk about hunting man got your whatever company system and my brand new laser scoped you know six five creedmoor blah 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 like i think that i don't think any of that serves um hunting perception from in the non-hunting public's eyes in a positive way you know obviously like if you make gear like tnk hunting and you want to talk about it like you know you like you got to talk to people about your product but i think the like there's definitely a line there when it comes to like content and what what's put on especially what's put on like instagram and tv i think that we're potentially doing ourselves a disservice to in the non-hunter's eye that's interesting to think that hunters, non-hunters have thought about this deeply enough to be have a perspective on technology. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if, they, if it's that they thought about it deeply, if it's more a more like guttural thing, you know, 
just that their gut is that like for whatever perception they have i mean obviously if you were to sit one of them down and talk about like wound loss rates with like a rifle versus a like a traditional bow or a compound versus a traditional but like i'm sure you could change their minds somewhat about like oh okay well hunting with just a bone arrow is like not always the best thing or the smartest thing or like you know whatever but um but it's it's very interesting there seems to be some element of that in there for sure yeah good point yep and hunting with dogs which has been banned and um like or it seems to be like on the chopping block more often there seems to be like gets closer and closer to like hound hunting getting banned more often is still not, not so much that's got to be like that right like hound hunting for cougars and bears not hunting with the dog for pheasants right i mean there's got yeah be that. most of the targeting seems to be going towards hound hunting for sure okay. yeah um but even hunting with dogs 52 percent is is um higher than high-tech gear and and that and dogs are more frequently legally challenged than high-tech gear is um so i just think that speaks again to um kind of like this weird like dis like dissonance there is between like what's going on with anti-hunting like where people are going after it and like what people actually disapprove of and how the anti-hunting sphere like the people who are like pushing the narrative and going after the laws like well hound hunting laws in certain states aren't necessarily representative of like the larger voting public Mm. and obviously you have to consider the threat but you also need to consider the larger voting public in a lot of ways i think yeah yeah probably more so i have one i'm sorry go i'm sorry no go ahead jim i have one closing thought and this i was listening to the outdoor life podcast and they were speculating about the r3 and how important it is to r3 because we've had a four percent decline in hunter approval and you know if i were to speculate on the opposite side of the spectrum what if the four percent was a result of people going to the field during covid new hunters right and seeing an army of orange seeing bad hunter behavior, seeing overcrowded public lands, feeling unsafe, not seeing game populations. What if that contributed to the 4% swing? Hmm. There is some, I can't believe they asked this, but they asked when they broke it down, like, what if you're a male? How do you feel about hunting? What if you're female? What if you're Hispanic? They one of them was one of the categories was what if you've been hunting in the last three years? So and I can't I can't remember what the percentage was, but surprisingly it wasn't a hundred. So not a hundred percent of the people that've been hunting in the last three years are on board with hunting. That, so that's she, what I'm exactly what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah. So yeah. That, well, the outdoor no. life, the outdoor life fellas on the podcast, they talked about how getting out and buying a tag and bringing in new hunters to get them to buy tags doesn't mean anything if they don't come back and buy them the following years. But then they had kind of changed their opinion to to say, well, you know what? Maybe if it is just that one year and they go out and have a good experience 
then that keeps them viewing hunting positively in the future. But it's also like, well, what if they went out one time and had a horrible time? And that's who's that's mm. now saying, well, hunting sucks because I went out yeah. and watched these guys act like like you just said. I got out there a few times and it was just all bad. Yeah. Well, that's going to bother me that I can't find it now. But Oh, here it is. I just did. In 94%. Yeah, 6% of people that have hunted in the last three years. Are, are opposed to hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that, thanks for picking up on that, Jim. That's no yeah, That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, maybe we should improve the experience of existing hunters versus trying to get new hunters and more hunters. Uh, fishing really turns people off to hunting because 12% of people that have fished in the last three years are opposed to hunting. Oh man, yeah. that's crazy. <laughs> All right. If there's nothing else, fellas, this is great. I really appreciate it. I have this, it's not, it's, it's not extremely effective. I have this like it's not extremely demonstrative, but I feel when I get done with one of these conversations and I feel like it went good, oh man, it makes me so happy. And sometimes I feel like, oh, that wasn't that very interesting. And I'm, but then sometimes I'll say, oh, that wasn't very interesting. I don't really like that one, but then people like it. So I'm not a very good judge of her own stuff, but still, man, this feels like it was a worthwhile thing that I hope people get something out of. So thanks for taking the time. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Me. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It was good. All right. All right. Good night. Yeah.